So, world leaders have been making their way into the German city of Hamburg for the annual G20 meeting. Starting Friday local time, there have also been protesters holding slogans like capitalism kills. It's the kind of protest that often accompanies these major global meetings. But also North Korea's recent ICBM test is expected to cast a long shadow over proceedings. We've got a couple of guests who are experts on East Asia security now on the line. Professor Robert Ross, political science at Boston College, associate of the Fairbank Center for Chinese Studies at Harvard University. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. And let me also introduce Tong Zhao, fellow in Carnegie Nuclear Policy Program based at the Carnegie Tsinghua Center for Global Policy based in China. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, and if I could start with you, Professor Ross, your reaction, first of all, to North Korea's ICBM test now that we've had three days or so to to digest its significance. It's still being discussed, and the United Nations Security Council can't even agree on what to do about it. If we broaden the number of parties to the G20 summit, what are your expectations? Well, I think think the test is part of a longer process of enabling North Korea to reach the United States with nuclear-tipped warheads. And, of course, as we've seen, this has captured the attention of the American presidency. Um, This is something that um, President Obama bequeathed to um, President Trump, and I think we all expected that this would be the most serious problem that President Trump would face in his first few months in office, and indeed, that's the case. Um, At the same time, um, it's quite clear that um, Kim Jong-un has a very unique pattern of diplomacy. He doesn't seem to want to get this technology down and get this capability while um, enabling cooperation with others so as to reduce the cost. On the contrary, he's testing these weapons in, the, in a way guaranteed to provoke others to respond at the highest level. So, of course, having this test on July 4th, having it while the G20 is meeting, guarantees there will be a hostile response. This uh, suggests he is not particularly adept at managing his whole, whole country's security, and we arouses greater concern about his ability to um, manage international politics and avoid crises and war. The, of course, the G20 is meeting on this one, and the G20 is quite complex. Uh, the Korea issue will emerge. Um, the Chinese and the Americans are all trying to court the Europeans on this issue, and the Europeans have a greater stake in the Chinese economy than they do in North Korean nuclear weapons, while simultaneously they have an interest in trying to bring Donald Trump back into NATO. So there will be some um, horse trading, some pulling and hauling. We may well get a statement. I wouldn't be surprised but I wouldn't think it would move the ball any closer to resolving the problem. What's your view uh, on that first question to get your introductory thoughts, uh, Dr. Zhao? Sure. Um, I also agree. Uh, there might be some joint uh, condemnation of the recent North Korean missile test. As the Secretary of State Rex Tillerson recently said, the North Korean new missile test is a global threat. So I would anticipate some joint response to that. With that said, uh, there is still major difference of view uh, between U.S. Uh, and China and Russia, on the other hand. Uh, China and Russia, in their joint statement released recently, uh, also mentioned that there is legitimate North Korean security concern that should be addressed. Uh, they also believe the only best way forward is to 
uh, quickly sit down with the North Koreans and have a negotiation. Uh, China again uh, reiterated its due suspension proposal for defusing the tensions. Uh, so apparently the Russian and Chinese emphasis is on diplomacy and hopefully the near-term objective is to have a quick and near-term uh, agreement on freezing and capping North Korea's nuclear missile program. And I think on the North Korean side, they, uh, with this recent success, they can now claim victory and therefore have more interest and willingness to seriously consider a freeze agreement. Uh, that's uh, the Chinese uh, the Chinese and Russians, I think, agree that that's the most realistic way going forward. Professor Ross, since that Mar-a-Lago meeting in April between President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Donald Trump, uh, Mr. Trump has frequently mentioned his expectation on China's role here uh, in containing North Korea. Can we say so soon that the strategy's failed? After all, there are stats that have come out that have shown for three months coal exports from North Korea to China have been at zero. Yes, um, I think the President Trump's understanding of Chinese policy at the Mar-a-Lago meeting may have been an eff effort in wishful thinking or um, self-delusion. I, I think most Americans who understand the Chinese perspective on the Korean Peninsula understood that the Chinese were not going to have put enough pressure on North Korea so as to destabilize the peninsula to lead to regime change or regime collapse. And basically the level of sanctions the United States would like to see China impose on North Korea would run that risk. So there was no chance from the beginning that the Chinese would satisfy Donald Trump's expectations. So now we're dealing, I think, with President Trump's frustrations at his own falsely concluded expectations about what China would do. Um, so we don't know how the, the Americans will respond, how the President Trump will respond. His frustration level seems to be high, threatening retaliation. Um, I would expect the Chinese would say, you know, you want to retaliate if you want to put pressure on China. Um, the likelihood of cooperation in North Korea will diminish, not increase. And I would expect the Chinese would say that they can retaliate with economic sanctions of their own. So this is not a very productive way to go to resolve either the Korean problem, because I think it's clear to everyone that North Korea is going to get nuclear weapons. They will not reverse their course, and they are going to develop an intercontinental ballistic missile, and use of force is not an option, and sanctions don't work. So President Trump's strategy on this one is destined for failure, similar to the policies of prior American administrations. Dr. Zhao, we also saw Chinese President Xi and Russian President Vladimir Putin speak on a bilateral basis ahead of the G20 summit. They did urge North Korea to stop developing nuclear weapons. Uh, they also urged the United States and South Korea to stop their own provocations, like, for example, joint military drills, which North Korea views as a preparation for war. Can you help us better view this from Beijing's perspective, because from the outside world, it, l it looks like China's getting in the way at times of efforts to stop a, a greater evil in a, in a potentially very dangerous North Korea. But uh, many people also suggest that uh, a, a destabilized North Korea is very dangerous for China. Oh, I, 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 that's right. I, yeah, go, go ahead, Professor Tong. Uh, right. I, I, I think uh, from the Chinese perspective, uh, if we want to achieve uh, denuclearization of North Korea, 
ultimately we have to start from somewhere. So we have to start from uh, easier and more realistic uh, objectives. And if we cannot even freeze and cap North Korea's nuclear missile program, there is no way that we can make them agree to denuclearize overnight. So and, and at this moment, the time is really not on the American side. The North Koreans have shown very impressive uh, progress towards advancing their missile capabilities. Uh, they not only showcased a number of uh, long-range and even intercontinental-range ballistic missiles in their April 15th parade, they have actually followed up with some very successful tests of those missiles. So the technology is being improved very quickly, and if we don't freeze their development as soon as possible, they can very quickly obtain a mature and reliable missile technology, and it will be too late by that time to try to freeze their program. So the Chinese understanding at this moment is the North Koreans might be sincerely interested in having some agreement to freeze their program because, technically speaking, they have already obtained a relatively reliable regional nuclear deterrence capability, being able to... Uh, uh, include being able to include most of the Im, uh, important regional targets like South Korea's uh, South Korea, Japan, American military bases in these countries, and Guam and Alaska uh, in, uh, under North Korea's nuclear retaliation threat. So that should be sufficient for North Korea's national security, and therefore they don't have to obtain a very reliable ICBM to threaten the homeland of the United States for deterrence purpose. That's why I think uh, Chinese and Russians still believe there is some opportunity to uh, force North Korea to agree to freeze their program. And the only question that is left right now is what the United States is willing to offer uh, in return for this North Korean small compromise of freezing their program. So far, I don't think Washington has any good answer to that question. Yeah, not, not a sufficient for answer for North Korea or for China. But Professor yeah. Ross, one thing we do know is that the U.S. has sold $1.4 billion worth of weaponry to Taiwan, uh, listed China as one of the worst human trafficking nations, and imposed sanctions on China's bank in Dangdong. Uh, yeah. So how does that fit into this picture? If the U.S. is hoping for Chinese compliance, it's 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 a, it's a bit a lot. It's a lot of the stick, not too much of the carrot. Well, I think two things, three things. We're not going to get Chinese compliance. Let's get that straight now. The Chinese are not going to change their policy to please the United States. Beginning and end, they're not going to put enough pressure on the North Korean regime to either persuade the North Korean regime to give up their nuclear program or to satisfy the United States. That's a non-starter. So we shouldn't even be talking about that. What we have to be talking about is the fact that North Korea is determined to develop a nuclear delivery capability, and I see no evidence that they would stop their testing program until they miniaturize their warhead. And so that's a non-starter also. So we shouldn't be talking about sanctions. And we shouldn't be talking about getting Chinese compliance, because those aren't going to happen. What we need to talk about is, given that the United States can't solve every problem in the world, we shouldn't expect the United States can solve this problem. This may be an unsolvable problem.
And it likely is, given North Korea's track record for the last 20 to 30 years. So we have to deal with the reality that this will be a nuclear-armed state with missiles. Then what do you do? And then you develop a very capable, persuasive deterrence posture, which the United States has had for the last 20 or 30 years. We should understand that the American retaliatory posture that contributes to deterrence has not eroded one iota. The United States remains, continues to maintain a very persuasive deterrent posture that has not changed given North Korea's nuclear capabilities because the United States has the potential to destroy the North Korean regime overnight. And there's that, that was 20 years ago, that was 10 years ago, that was five years ago, that's today. And so the deterrent posture remains strong. So if we assume that North Korea has some degree of rationality and wants to maintain the lives of their leadership and the survival of their government, that deterrent posture should be effective. And that's how we have to be thinking about, not how we reverse a policy that North Korea has been determined to pursue for the last 30 years, not that we will get China to change its policy that it's maintained for the last 30 years. America cannot solve every problem in the world. Mm. Cannot solve this problem. Well, uh, now, on Taiwan, yeah. on the Taiwan issue, the United States is going to sell weapons to Taiwan one of these days. It just was. We sell weapons to Taiwan under every president. This was a question of timing, not if, but when. So President Trump was holding out the possibility that he would delay and delay and delay if we got Chinese cooperation. But the Chinese side knew that we were going to sell weapons. The Chinese side knew President Trump was going to sell weapons one day. So the likelihood of either not selling or selling was not very persuasive to the Chinese because it didn't create any leverage. They knew those weapon sales were coming. And in terms of America retaliating with economic sanctions, well, as I said before, China has a lot of economic sanctions they can impose in the United States. So this is not, we're not dealing with a country, China that is, that is, that is prepared to make concessions in the United States just because America is making pressure on China. This is new China. I think we all know that. This is now a great power who has to be treated like a great power and simply won't respond to American threats. And so President Trump is living in the past with policies of the past that will not be successful. Well, it does feel like we've been in this state of limbo and no matter what rhetoric we've heard, the options do seem as limited as ever. I, I, I always come back in my mind to some analysis we heard previously on the show that maybe the best strategy is to allow North Korea to open up from within by not being quite so tough on them and uh, allowing them to effectively corrupt themselves into, um, into compliance with the I rest of the world. the best strategy right there. I yeah. think that's, that, that is the wisest approach, is to develop a policy that weakens the North Korean government from within, so as to have some evolution, some sanity in that regime coming from the changes in, in society and politics that come from opening of North Korea, not continued isolation. Dr. Zhao, Yes. Just because we're short of time, and I just want to ask one more question with you, Dr. Zhao, on, on the THAAD issue. Uh, Terminal High Altitude Area Defense is an acronym that probably shouldn't be as much of a household name as it is here in South Korea. Uh, I dare say many of us won't be experts on missile defense, but we know about this one. And uh, President Xi Jinping and, and President Moon Jae-in, they, they have held their first face-to-face -face meeting in Germany. Given the approaches that are available to us, it seems very important that Seoul and Beijing maintain good ties. How likely is that going to be, given the third situation as it stands? Well, according to the news report about their uh, meeting uh, between President Moon and President Xi, uh, they jointly said uh, they are still very much committed to improving bilateral relations, 
but President Xi still mentioned that uh, he looks forward to removing the existing barriers in bilateral relationship. I think that means China, China's position on that uh, has not significantly changed. China still uh, wants South Korea to make some uh, fundamental decisions on that. Uh, the Mr. Moon's strategy of using the strategic environmental assessment to buy time uh, might work in the near term, but after the assessment is concluded, uh, China might still want to see some major policy change there. So one hope is that during this time of maybe one to two years of the environmental assessment, maybe we can jointly work out some near-term solution on North Korea. So if the perceived threat from North Korea is contained or even reduced, maybe there is more room for Mr. Moon to be more flexible. Mm. Uh, there is another technical solution, which is the, I do believe the technical experts from China, South Korea, and United States should really sit down and have a substantive discussion of that. Because I believe there is a still major misunderstanding about the basic technical features of the system among these technical experts. Yes. We do not even agree on the basic technical issues. There is no hope that we can have any common standing on the more complex political and strategic issues over that. Well, as I suggested, many of us know about this system without probably having much technical know-how because of what we're consistently bombarded with in the media. Thank you very much, both of you gentlemen, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Professor Robert Ross of Boston College and Dr. Tong Zhao, the Carnegie Tsinghua Center for Global Policy.